0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tough on Art. I'm Jen, and I want to let you know that I'm getting over a terrible cold, so... Right now at this moment, I sound way more nasally than I normally do, (laughs) so please forgive me, but I want to let you know that I have a few things coming up that you might be interested in. One is coming up next weekend, Sunday, April 24th, and it is the Tough Method for Getting Galleries. I'm not going to be doing this workshop again until the fall, so if you're interested in doing this and you're interested in getting art galleries, I encourage you to take this class. Um, Again, Sunday, April 24th, sign up at gentough.com. I also have some really big news that I'm doing a live in-person workshop. Oh my God, in person. Um, In Santa Fe, October 10th, 11th, and 12th, which is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's a two and a half day workshop. So if you're not in Santa Fe, which I bet most of you are not, and you want to visit this super cool place It's built on art. So come visit and stay a couple days early, like the weekend before, or maybe stay a couple days afterwards and explore Santa Fe. So this is the Tough Method for Artist Success, which is the name of this one. Um, It's going to be great. Please, I'd love to come meet you and you can hang out with everybody. Um, And the other thing is, is that I am offering 30-minute individual consultations For those of you who sign up for one year of the Artist Alliance, and you can do that um, at gentuff.com, all three of those things. The um, Art Gallery Workshop on Sunday, April 24th, the in-person workshop in Santa Fe in October, and one-year Artist Alliance membership. And I should let you know that the Artist Alliance, starting in May, is going to start having shows on Artsy. I'm so excited about that. So please sign up, and I'll see you soon. Hi everybody this is Jen and welcome to Tough on Art and today I am talking to one of my all-time favorite artists and an artist who's been with me I think from the dark days of Vallejo Gina
1: Tuzzi. Hi Gina. Hi thank you for having me I'm so honored I'm honored to be one of your favorite artists that just makes my heart sing thank you. (laughs) Where are you right now what's going on in your life? I'm currently in my home studio in Blue Lake, California. I live in the Mad River Valley, which is in northern Humboldt County. And my painting studio is a converted dance studio. So I have a wall of mirrors. I have a balance beam and all kinds of percussive instruments in here. It's a really incredible creative space that I've been able to convert to my sort of visual art space.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Gina and I are talking to each other on Zoom right now so I can see her space, which I've I've seen before via Zoom. And it's super cool. It has like paneling. It's very 70s Northern California. It's sort of the epitome of it to me.
1: Yes, it is the studio I always dreamed that maybe I would have and never actually thought that I would find in life. And when I was first brought into this space, I was so shocked and overjoyed that I was trembling which was a really bizarre experience to have like a bodily shock to having you know the the people who were sort of docenting the house for us to just really casually be like and this will be your art studio and you know it's huge it's larger than than some homes I've lived in so it's really incredible to to make work in here I'm very lucky
0: yeah and it's such a beautiful place where you are I think it's one of my most favorite places on the planet actually is Northern California, North of San Francisco, you know, more rural in the mountains. So green. I have a lot of friends who live in that area and have for a long time. So it's, it's special to me.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're teaching right now, right? Tell me about that. I am. Yeah. I'm teaching all levels of painting at Humboldt state university. We've been transitioning slowly, and by we, I mean the painting area, because we're kind of a diverse mix of sort of decisions in my department of how to navigate teaching during the pandemic. So I've been slowly transitioning my students from online learning back into fully in-person. So this will be the first semester fully back in the classroom with my beginning, intermediate, and advanced painters.
0: Wow. And I know yeah. like the whole Zoom thing this last, because it's been like, what, a year and a half, I
1: guess, right? Yeah. Of the Zoom thing. Too, oh, yeah, too. This is, we're, we're chipping away at our second year.
0: Mm, okay. yeah. Sense
1: of time. <laughs> Zoom is a really hard way to learn such a nuanced visual medium. You know, I mean, it, it can be done. You can definitely teach the sort of foundational techniques of painting online, but it is so much richer when you are, in person, having those great revelations about color and, you know, all of, all of the great things that come with falling in love with, with a new medium. And I'm really excited to go back to teaching painting one in person. I think it's going to be really beneficial both for me and, and for the students for sure.
0: Yeah. Cause it's kind of, it's kind of when you're doing it by zoom, you're not getting that. You of course can't see what they're doing in the very, you know, in detail. Right. Right. And then I suppose, you know, also just being in a room with a bunch of other people painting and in the same process, it kind of makes this energy that, yeah, you're you're definitely not getting on Zoom. So that's...
1: I think that's kind of the best part, you know, like the alchemy between students, the conversations they have after hours or the problem solving that they lend each other. I know that that was such a valuable experience for me as a student and a lot of the feedback that I got at the end of this last semester, when I was back in person with my upper division painters was that they were benefiting so much just from being able to be in the same room as each other, to learn from watching one another, to share techniques, to, you know, kind of cry on each other's proverbial shoulders about things that weren't working. That was the really important thing that they were so happy to return to. So I think it'll be really important for my students who are just learning the medium for the very, very first time, which can be, you know, really intimidating if you don't have any experience with, with, you know, painting materials or art materials. I mean, some of my students have never held a paintbrush. So it's really nice to have someone be there and be like, this is not scary. It might seem scary, but it's, it's really just like a hairy stick. It's not a big deal.
0: <laughs> a hairy stick. That's great.
1: Yeah. yeah. I had a student say that one time and I was like, you're right. <laughs> it's totally just a hairy stick. It's not like a magic wand, you know, it's pretty, pretty caveman technology. Uh-huh. So tell me about your schooling. What did that? I I did my undergrad at Humboldt State. So this is like a full circle experience for me to have been a student there and to have returned as an adjunct professor. So it's, it's a, um, a very psychedelic experience to have been in that room as a 17 year old and return, you know, in my thirties. And I was really fortunate to study with Teresa Stanley, who's been my mentor since I was a teenager. She was then the, the sort of head of the painting area. And I'm fell in love with so many incredible friends during that time and forged this really amazing community and network of artists who I'm still in communication with to this day in my undergrad. And then my grad school experience took me to Oakland and I went to Mills college and again, had a very similar experience where I, you know, was under the wing of Hung Lu as my mentor, which was a, a remarkable experience and fell very deeply in love with my cohort of of sort of friends in grad school people that were ahead of me in the program that were in the same year as the program as me and you know I'm incredibly tight with so many of those folks still and you know there was just a really beautiful kind of magic and alchemy that happened between all of us that I think is really the richness of an art school experience is you know how do you take all these individual sort of philosophies and styles of making and put them in a sort of intense environment together and see how people bounce off of one another, how you challenge one another, how you influence one another. So that was a really remarkable experience for me. And it's funny because it was only two years long, you know, in the grand scheme of life, grad school is like this blip so fast. And yet it was really impactful. And there's so much about that time that I think really shaped who I kind of became as an artist. You know, I really learned how important the discipline of a studio practice is, you know, and that you always have to show up for your work, even when you don't want to, even when you're mad at it or, you know, depressed about it for whatever other reason, you have to show up for it. So that, that was really beneficial for me. And that was kind of my, um, my little academic experience in a nutshell. But it really has had some longevity, mainly with the relationships that I made with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of
0: artists wonder if having an MFA is something that they need to do. And I always have been of the belief that an MFA allows you that time, just what you were saying, those two years of really intensive, being able to really focus on your work and sort of refine it. Yeah. But What do you think about that? Do you think that your MFA has been um, really beneficial in other ways, besides just what you just discussed, like as professionally, what do you, what do you yeah. think? Yeah,
1: I, I think that something that was really beneficial about my MFA experience was that I made a great deal of connections in the Bay area. And, was able to, you know, be introduced to a network of people who I still have contact with. And I think that was really incredible. It was kind of a constant, you know, we're going to have dinner with these people and then we're going to go to a talk with these people and -and so-and-so is going to come and do studio visits. And that was really, really beneficial. And I do think it can be done that, that sort of, um, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, kind of, it feels like a debutante ball or something, you know, that grand introduction to the fabric of an art world. I think people can do on their own. You can invite people to do studio visits. You can find ways to insert yourself into that community, but it's a lot easier when you have, you know, a sort of in my case, a sort of bonafide superstar, like the late Hung Lu to be like this, you know, Ai Weiwei is making you dinner tonight and you are going to come and enjoy dinner with Ai Weiwei kind of thing. You know, I always tell my students, like, that's not something I can't like get on the horn right now. And, and, you know, invite someone to be making you dinner. That was really incredible and beneficial in the long run. But I do have some really kind of critical opinions about pursuing a master's degree at this point, mainly because of the financial burden. So, you know, I was 24 years old when I signed off on those loans. And it was right before the Great Recession, you know, immediately. It was immediately before... And I entered that kind of academic pursuit, assuming that I would be able to gain momentum and enter an economy that supported me and, you know, potentially one day, (laughs) you know, buy a home and have a retirement plan and all of these things. And it was ultimately, I think, really, you know, naive of me to not realize that things were sort of starting to grind a little bit to a halt and... That financial burden, I mean, amazingly, I've paid it off. But it t- it took me sacrificing financially a lot for about a decade, which is, I realize, really fast compared to some people. I, I hustled grants. I had side gigs. I went to a program where the second year paid for itself, kind of, in that I was teaching the painting classes, some of the painting classes. So, yeah, I, I think that I... I advocate my students and that people who are interested in looking to grad student grad programs excuse me really look for you know financially beneficial sort of avenues of doing it because the interest rates on those mega loans are offensively high and you know there's not a lot of support for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little scary.
0: Yeah. And I'm always amazed too at when artists come out either with a BFA or an MFA knowing so little about how the actual business of art works. Yes. And it's such a disservice I think mm-hmm. that art schools are doing to students and artists, you know, when they're not sharing this kind of information. I mean it's kind of shocking, you know, how many artists really don't understand how the business works. You do I think you do, but I think you learned that on your own, I think. And, and, and through other artists that you were connecting with, right. Like who were really in the scene and sort of understood how things worked.
1: Of course. And I think a lot of those lessons for me, you know, came sort of the hard way, you know, and that's, I think a lot of us learn lessons from falling on our face, but it's not fun to have to, you know, have a conversation with someone about not paying you because there wasn't a contract. It was actually like a handshake and, you know, things yeah. like that. So I, I think that I am still learning so many of those lessons, but yeah, I definitely have learned some of them. You know, I, I, I've learned that having a steady income as an artist has been really, you know, outside of art sales has been really beneficial to my life because I have something that is concrete and that I can lean into. I'm really lucky that I have one of these rare and coveted positions in academia, but you know, it truly could be anything, you know, I could be, I could be working at a car wash. Like it's gotta be something you have to have some sort of steady stream of income that can support the, you know, kind of fickleness and fluctuation of an art market, right? Which we can like discern outside of like an art world. They do feel like different things. Mm -hmm. The art market, you know, it can, you know, it ebbs and flows.
0: Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of, I was just talking about this with someone the other day that, you know, you read all the time in the newspapers or whatever that the, you know, the disappearance of the middle class
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and, you know, for emerging artists, you know that's something to really think about because there really is a disappearing of the middle class meaning that people really don't have disposable income to yeah. buy art with right you know and and there it's i think that is and the internet are two major factors mm-hmm. of this this changing you know art market for emerging artists you know people who are really just starting out whether they're coming out of school or they're revisiting art you know from years ago or you know or whatever yeah. it's difficult it's really difficult.
1: Yeah. And kind of disappointing. You know, I remember reading this article <laughs> when I lived in the Bay area that was about, you know, Christie's and Sotheby's setting up these free Ugh. workshops for young people in tech to kind of introduce them to this idea of investing in something that, you know, has value. It's going to accrue in value over time. And, you know, I think it was like a flash in the pan, those, those free workshops, you know, they never, Sotheby's never came back. Christie's never came back. It it was falling on deaf ears. And that's an interesting thing to see these demographics of, of wealth pop up in art kind of havens and it feels like there's this total disconnect when Mm -hmm. it could be investing my god if I made hundreds of thousands of dollars every year I would definitely buy artwork like I dream of being able to to invest in artwork and yeah it's really like you said it's really really changed things and Mm -hmm. um you know, maybe in some ways for the better, like, I think you bring up a really good point with the advent of the internet being this really incredible platform for artists. There could be some democratization happening there, which I think would be fantastic. Yeah. Um. And yet, you know, I do think that there's something to say about buying work from, you know, someone who represents artists and can advocate for them and, and, you know, be a foundation of, yeah, I don't know, like, like help for <laughs> artists navigate everything. Cause it's impossible to be your own dealer and representative and, and secretary and archivist and cleaning person and the maker, you know, you, you mm-hmm. need a family of help to make it feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean I'm totally for artists selling on their own you know like moving in that direction I mean yeah. because I think that's way that's the way the market is going anyway and the internet has had a lot to do with that with that shift but it is it's so much work and none of that none of those skills are are taught to people in school whether BFA or MFA I mean it's it's some you know so there and it's hard to find I think good places where you can learn that where you can yeah. learn how to market yourself, how the business works, how to, right. you know, advocate for yourself, you know, read over contracts if you even get one, like what you touched on before like, you know, right. most galleries or whatever don't even have contracts. It's still a handshake deal, which is so insane. But I yeah. suppose we're sort of on a handshake deal at this point, aren't we? <laughs>
1: no, I think we have a contract. I feel like there was a we, contract. I yeah. think there was like maybe at one point, maybe I don't know. Yeah. I think that we have a contract. <laughs> Yeah. I, um, I don't know. You know, I'm really lucky that I teach in a program that has a really fantastic course offered to the students that is preparing them for thinking about inserting their work into the market and about, you know, having an online presence and how to communicate with galleries. And it's such a valuable course and a course that I wish that I had had when I was an undergraduate. And, you know, I was really lucky that I took a class where at the very end of the semester, uh, Teresa Stanley, who I mentioned earlier, and uh, Leslie Price, who was sort of running that class with her sat us all down and they just said, ask us all the questions and we are going to answer them as best we can. And it was this really wonderful opportunity to talk to two career artists who have a very successful balance of managing a home life with a family, managing a career in academia and managing a visual art career as painters. And they just, you know, they gave us the sort of verbal tools that we needed to be like, Oh, I had never considered that that is maybe how I should communicate with this gallery. Or maybe this is an opportunity that would be really good for me to pursue. So now all of that magic has been condensed into a class for all of our art majors, which is great. Oh, that's really great. Yeah.
0: So so speaking of the market, do you think as your work has evolved, how much has the market and quote unquote sellability sort of played into what you're creating? Is that something that you think about when you're when you're creating, when you're when you're making?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that I would be lying if I said that it didn't affect how I think about bringing a painting into the world. I, I really try to consciously omit those thoughts, but every once in a while I'll, I'll think to myself like that, that just maybe wouldn't be a desirable size, or maybe that's not a very desirable substrate. And I, I would love for my work to be accessible enough for people to live with it. So I guess that is like a current that's running through my work, conscious or not, because it is made to be shared. Ultimately, I, I do think that there are sort of elements that come into play, especially when I'm doing, say, a mural design, which is this whole other kind of new facet of my work is doing public pieces. And when you're appeasing a larger community sort of scope or vision, you're definitely thinking about things like that. But when it comes to the work that, you know, say you and I kind of deal with together, I try to make sure that it's palatable to me and is something that I would want to invest in. So I do think that there is some level of me being conscious of sales and it's sort of accessibility to, you know, potentially a collector or the art market. I, I, I definitely think that's entered the picture. You know, it wasn't so much a part of my thinking when I was younger, but when you start to find people who are really connecting with your work, they do become a part of the consciousness of running the larger studio machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So
0: when you first when you were younger when did you first decide that you wanted to go to art school that you wanted to like when you were in high school what what did you what what were you what were your, what were your thoughts around that
1: back then I I knew from a really really young age that I wanted to be an artist I had this really fantastic set of neighbors that shared a fence line with my parents backyard so I was incredibly close to their their orbit to their universe. They were married. They were probably, when I was a little girl, they were probably in their late fifties, early sixties. So they were nearing retirement and he was a painter. He had this big, beautiful studio with a massive sound system. And he would make these very ambient, abstract paintings that were made with, what is it called? An airbrush. And his wife, Phoebe was making these very kind of Joseph Cornell, assemblages in boxes and in cabinets. And my mom, who's a woodworker, would make the cabinet structures for her and in exchange for that structure, I would get to be in the studio with them. So it was this really great, like kind of pseudo classroom, but I was also just kind of moonlighting them at a young age and Phoebe's whole world was about finding beautiful things. You know, if it was like a scrap of paper or a broken chunk of ceramic or tile, or maybe a dead bug and putting them into this box. And I remember watching that as a little girl and thinking like, you can do that with your life. How amazing. Like, that's all I want to do. And so I knew from the jump that that, that was for me. And you know kept that in mind with everything i pursued from here on out or from there on out and in high school i really wanted to go to art school and i remember telling my parents like i want to go to it was ccac at the time you know just a couple hours away and you know seeing these wonderful sexy magazines with all these people coming out of that program and my mom was like you are going to go somewhere that offers sciences that has a broader range of disciplines And I'm so glad that she advocated for me to not go to art school. I mean, that would have been a massive debt as a 17-year-old. I'm really lucky my massive debt didn't come for almost another decade. But I'm so glad I went to Humboldt State. You know, it was a really... It's a a great program. It was a great program then. It's a great program now. So yeah, I knew for a really long time I wanted to be an artist.
0: So that's all in Santa Cruz. We should mention that. I'm so jealous. That sounds like such an amazing amazing upbringing. And your parents are, I love your parents. Yeah. Tell everybody about your, your awesome parents. You have such a great family.
1: I do. I do. They're, they are so supportive. They've always been so supportive. They're both very creative people in their own ways. My dad is a musician. He's wanted to be an entertainer his whole life. He was raised kind of in a bar. His, his grandparents owned a bar in the Central Valley. And so as a as like a toddler, he would get on the bar and lip sync to songs on the jukebox to entertain people. And he's still very much that person, you know, he loves to entertain. He's Santa now, which is great. He's got a huge white beard. He looks like Monet. And my mom is a woodworker. She, she pursued that as a very young woman. She built a lot of the cabinets and countertops that are in the science departments at UC Santa Cruz And she's got a great wood shop in the house that I grew up in. And so I was really lucky that I got to be raised at the foot of a woman building things and being exposed to, you know, just what that looks like to have a parent who was inserted in what at the time was a very kind of macho and masculine world. And she always made sure that I was aware of how she was being treated in certain scenarios. And I think that really like birthed a feminist in me for sure. And now they're both retired and, you know, living the dream. Dad rides his bike to the beach every day. Mom works in her garden, grows really delicious tomatoes and irises. And they still live in the same house they've been in since 1975. They were so lucky that they were young kids from the Central Valley who were able to buy near the beach in Santa Cruz for a song. I mean, it's it's offensive how... (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> for like the price of a car, basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah they're wonderful people. They really, they support me. We have a, a, a beautiful friendship. There's a lot of like mind. We still really like being around each other. I'm so lucky for that, you know? I, I had no idea how special that was until I met more people who were like, oh, I don't talk to my dad or I have a toxic relationship with my mom, you know? And yeah. I always think like, man, I really lucked out that we like each other. We love each other and we like each other. Yeah, your parents are super cool. I, yeah. I love them. So tell me
0: about what is it like for you creatively to, you know, to be teaching painting and creativity in a sense, being an art teacher, basically. And does that affect your work? Do you feel like that sort of takes away from your studio time? Like does it emotionally and intellectually kind of take away from your own creative process? Because some of the some of the other artists that I've been talking to, some of them find that having a job where you have to be creative can kind of suck into that. So how do you feel about that? Is that something that you've obviously learned to adapt to it, but what are your, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I'm still very actively learning to adapt to it. And, you know, when I started teaching, one of my former instructors, who at the time was a colleague, told me, he was like, it's going to take seven years to get into a groove. And I remember just being shocked by that number. And then getting to year seven, which was right before the pandemic, of course, and thinking like he was right. It takes a long time to get everything kind of dialed in and still maintain this identity as an artist. And I'm always sort of at odds with finding a perfect balance. I, you know, I think that there's some real upsides and I think that there's some real downsides. And the upside is that I get to spend my day in this really beautiful incubator of talking about how transformative being an artist and having leading an artist lifestyle can be. And I think that's really positive for me. The the downside is that it's, you're always talking about the thing that you love and you don't have a lot of time to do it. And the analogy I always tell people is like, imagine that For 40 hours a week, you get to talk about how delicious cake is. And you watch all these people eating cake in front of you. And you're like, oh, I just really wish I had time for cake. And then you get this tiny sliver of time once a week where it's like, now I get to eat some cake. And then I'm going back into this cycle of like, isn't it amazing? Don't you love it? And, you know, it can be really frustrating when you meet people that are like, I hate this. This is so awful and oppressive. And you're like, come on, man, I'd do anything to have 20 minutes today to paint. And you really have to learn to differentiate from your experience and their experience. And it's a spectrum of emotions. Teaching is a lot of giving, right? You are constantly ringing out everything from your psyche to make sure that these minds are absorbing and learning. And I truly want them to have the most abundant experience ever, but that can be really, really draining as well. And so I'm just learning how, I mean, I've been doing this for eight years now. I'm learning how to strike that balance of how do I satiate what I know they need and how do I satiate what I know, I need. And so something that I'm doing this semester is I've taken one class off of my schedule so that I can have six hours more a week to hopefully focus on things going on in my life. You know, if I could have two days a week in studio, that would just be the most like remarkable, amazing thing ever.
0: Yeah. Well, you must be an amazing teacher. Because you're obviously very dedicated and you're putting so much time into it, you know? Thanks. I, I try. See- I try. I think I, I do my best. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. You've got to be amazing. I mean, because you're, you're, you know, you're great. You're an amazing person. So, yeah. so where do
1: you want to move forward? Like what, what do you, what are you seeing for your future? I, well, I think to kind of piggyback off of what we were just talking about, the thing that I want immediately for my future is to find more time in my studio. I have this really exciting creative energy that is like pumping out of me these last couple months. And it's so hard to, put the brakes on it you know like right now for example I'm sitting at my home office where I've been doing zoom for years now and behind me is this wall full of half-baked paintings and when I walk into the room I look at them and I'm like I love you I so badly want to touch you and help you evolve and grow and that's just not going to happen for a while and so truly I just want more time but other than that you know I don't i don 't fully know i I would love to travel. I think that you know taking yourself outside of your comfort zone and inserting yourself into a new area can always be so inspiring and I think is a really beautiful thing for artists to experience. Obviously, now is not um, a safe time to do that, and i 'm okay with that, you know, like camping around California in my little van conversion is still very satisfying and very inspiring for me, but I would really love to spend some time in Europe. I wanna, you know, see some of those beautiful old paintings and just, you know, relish in their glow for a little bit. I think that would be really good for me to bring that energy back into my studio. But you know, I don't have any really long-term plans right now. I think that's the really fascinating thing about living in a pandemic is that we're just going day to day, right? Yeah. Trying to, to stay sort of right in my mind and be strong for my community. And yeah, that that's really put, put the kibosh on a lot of like long-term thinking, but I'm okay with that right now. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really lucky that I have a job. I have a space, got a great household. I live in this compound of women artists. It's like such a, fun slumber party every night and yeah, things, things are good. I'm okay with where I'm at now, but mainly I just want to make more work. I want to make more paintings.
0: Yeah. It is hard to plan too when we're in this pandemic thing Yeah, because you know, I get caught in this thing where it's like, is this just hopium? Like, am I just hoping that things, are... what yeah. if things get shittier? So then you're, you're just kind of in this place yeah. where it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't plan to go to Mm -hmm. Europe, like you were saying, or maybe, you know, and it just, I know what you mean. You're sort of forced back into this. Okay. Well, we'll just, you know, for today, I'm going to do this, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll do that. Did you get a chance to travel at all during that sort of magic window, like outside of California, you know, when I think it was like what last summer from like maybe
1: July through October. (laughs) Yeah. I totally took advantage of that tiny blip of time and traveled to your neck of the woods and got to have a delicious lunch with you. That's right. You were in Santa and Fe. I was in Santa Fe and I spent some really amazing quality time with one of my best, best friends and like biggest loves of my life, Annie Vote and her husband Scott Vermeer and her son. And that was really important to me to just be able to have face time with one of my besties in a place that I love. And we just battened down the hatches and spent some time in the natural world hiking and swimming and that was really great but it also felt really scary to be traveling and it felt really selfish of me to travel I had really I remember you talking to me about that yeah like not so
0: good about it
1: but yeah there was a part of me that was like this is how transmission spreads and I don't want to be a part (laughs) of you know, the problem. I want to take this thing so seriously. And at a certain point I was like, I have to see my people, you know, there has to be a balance. I navigate that all the time, you know, like how do we do the right thing and be true to, to our desires and our needs as a human being? How do we care for our mental health? Uh, You know, that, that is just Constantly, something I'm I'm sort of grappling with, but I I'm so glad that I was able to get out there for a hot second, and yeah, that was kind of the extent of it. You know, I did a little bit. I of course travel between here and Santa Cruz to see my family, and you know, did some really fantastic camping, and that is so relaxing for me and so indulgent for me. I'm really lucky that I live in this part. Of the world that just is full of rivers and trees and beautiful, you know, untouched mountainsides and spending time in that environment is really nourishing for me. In fact, I'm I'm making like a whole body of work about it right now that I'll have to send you some... I need some pics. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you must. I, I mean, I just love it up there and I can't wait to see what you, I see some, is that
1: Bigfoot back there on your wall? Yeah, yeah I'm okay. painting these kind of like Amazonian women that are walking through the landscape and they're okay. sort of absorbing all of the elements of the natural world around them through their feet. So they're filling up with like flowers and, you know, stones from the river and colors from the river and Yeah. Just thinking about, you know, a lot of kind of lore of big women. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. I love it. So it's like Sasquatchina or. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's definitely Sasquatch adjacent. Yeah. And it's in that very classic pose, you know, that comes right out of Willow Creek. I can't remember those guys' names, but it was that, it's that very, you know, kind of archetypal foot, Bigfoot crossing the river you know with those long hands yeah it's been fun it's been fun and lots of naked bathers with their really strong tan lines which is one of my favorite things about the end of the summer is that kind of dual dual tone in in skin where you have the where the bathing suit was and where the bathing suit wasn't I think it's just so
0: gorgeous Yeah. yeah oh well I can't wait to see more yeah it's so good to spend time with you. Thank you for being with me. It's, yeah, thank you for having me. It's nice to spend time with you too. I like catching up on what you're doing and thanks for thanks for sharing everything and, and we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Yes, that sounds good. I would love that, Jen. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. Your support means everything. If you'd like to learn more about the Artist Alliance community, send me a question or learn about other events or projects coming up please visit my website at www.gentuff.gallery. See you next time. That's our show today. Thank you so much for joining me and Gina. If you're interested in taking the Art Gallery Workshop on Sunday, April 24th, or if you're interested in Santa Fe with me in October, or a one-year Artist Alliance membership with a 30-minute consult, yay! Go to gentuff.com. It's right on the front page. And have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it.